Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is a podcast. In case you didn't know it, you have a pod and it's casting a word of the Lord. Do you remember the Gary Shambling show? Yeah, dude. (laughs) No way. Uh, That's a poll from way long ago, but your opening jingle just there reminded me of the theme song from (laughs) the Gary Shambling show. This is the theme for Gary's show, the opening theme for Gary's show. This, this is, is the music that you hear as you watch the credits. Anyway, it goes on from there. You guys don't care about that. This is the Word on the Hill podcast. We're the Lanky Guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. And uh, it is autumnal bliss outside. Is today the first day of autumn? I, you know The what? 21st. We're recording this on the 21st. The Feast of St. Matthew. The Feast of St. Matthew, conveniently enough. No, I think uh, autumn starts tomorrow, if I'm not... Mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it just depends on when you post this little bad Oscar. Well, it always goes up on Thursday, Father Peter. Well, today is Thursday. Today is Thursday, the last day of summer. So everyone drink your last Mai Tai and um, <laughs> get ready to pour a nice bottle of scotch. That sounds very fall, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Or pumpkin I re- juice. I really like scotch. I do too. And just, No, you don't. I hate scotch. What are you talking about, dude? <laughs> dude, all I care about is sweaters, man. I get to wear sweaters. I want to become a, card- a cardigan person. Yeah. I want to be that guy. I have a tweed jacket, but I always look like an Episcopalian whenever I wear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even even the imagery in my head feels yeah, Episcopalian. Like cl- cl- clerics with the tweed jacket, man, this is like, welcome to the that another denomination. Very Episcopalian. Well, speaking of Episcopalians, it is the 25th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our first reading this week is coming from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. There oh. you go. Okay, okay, let me get to Did the... I surprise you? Did I jump in too quick? No, man, I just am, I'm just behind. Okay, we already you got covered Isaiah. seasons and sweaters and my ties. So yes. I figured we covered all of our bases. Then our psalm is Psalm 145, mm. um, and it's 2 to 3, 8 to 9, 17 to 18. That's a lot of jumping. Dude, that's, you know, it's like, a, it's like the Pogo psalm. The Pogo psalm. This is the Pogo song today. Because um, <laughs> it hops. I get it. Uh, I, I got yeah, it. Yeah. Our second reading... Is coming from the book of Philippians, not Philemon. That's Although good. Both you have a similar. Yeah, I, I kind of flip out sometimes on it. Flip out. Flip Everyone out. get that? Yeah. All right. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty C through twenty four, and then jumping to twenty seven A. That is a piecemeal. Dude, you read? I, I read the intermediary ones, and yeah. I was proud of them for cutting it because it's like, come on, like, that, <laughs> like it's just like it, it just is like let's take everything personal. I out was of it. proud of them for cutting it. This is a good way to put that. <laughs> well a, done. Well done. Let's just get to the heart of the matter. Let's not none of these like. And then our gospel <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter twenty, one to sixteen a. You were just embodying what you were proclaiming. <laughs> yeah. Cut out all the personal stuff. Cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. Let's just Which do is this, man. Precisely like, what you did. And um, and I'm a precise kind of man. What yeah, can I say? You are. I um. Oh, I'm turning to Philippians, but we have to talk about Isaiah first. <laughs> you yeah. got me all excited about the intervening passages from it, Philippians. I, uh, Isaiah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think both of us are pretty excited to get to the gospel. Yes. I was. Uh, I I sat with the parable that shows up in the gospel this morning for a while, and it, it really got me Dude. today. It 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 kind of rocked me. And I know this parable. I've seen it a million times. But woo, I'm excited to get there. So I kind of want to get through Isaiah, <laughs> but we need Isaiah. That's the thing. You have to, what is St. Jerome? I think it was St. Jerome. He said, you have to drink the water of the old before you can taste the wine of the new. 
You have oh, to drink yeah. the water of the old before you can taste the wine of the new. Ooh. So we can't jump straight into the gospel. We have to drink the water of the old and get mm. nourished by it yeah. because that's going to prepare us for the rest, as excited as we are. To jump in. You know, I, I, the truth is, is because if you start drinking wine without drinking water, you end up dehydrated and hungover. That's true. Do you know what, um, what book he was commentating on when he said that line? Um, Matthew? Isaiah. Isaiah. It was his commentary uh, on Isaiah. So Isaiah, what, and this is the difficult way. It's a very short uh, first reading. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way, the wicked his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord for mercy, to our God who is generous and forgiving. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways. And my thoughts above your thoughts. Now, the, the very simple, I think, connecting point with the parable that we're, we haven't talked about yet is we're dealing with a parable where people are very confused about what the person in the parable is doing. And the logic that the person in the parable is using makes no sense to people. And they're frustrated by it. And so I think there's a connecting point because it's obviously the parable is about God and his inscrutable ways. And Isaiah is saying, hey, God's ways are higher and way above your ways. You mm. can't wrap your mind around them, which is a good insight to the gospel, right? Right. But, but that's not enough. And I, I think there's a little bit more to the first reading and I, you know, the, our rule of thumb, and this is a good rule of thumb, if you're right. ever reading scripture or studying a passage and you can't quite figure it out, what do you do? You uh, look at the context. You look at the context. You read around it, right? So I read a little bit around this. In chapter 55, it's an interesting um, chapter. And what it's doing, so remember, Isaiah spans this tremendous period of time from giving warnings about the exile that's coming, the punishment that the people of Israel are going to bear because of their unfaithfulness and their breaking of the covenant and their terrible idolatry and everything else. You're, they're going to be punished, but it also looks ahead to after the punishment, here's how God's going to build you back up and restore you. And chapter 55 is basically a, a summoning of the future exiles who are going to be sent off to faraway lands. They're going to be summoned to return and be restored. And it's an invitation. So uh, chapter 55 says, come all you who are thirsty. Thirsty for what? Thirsty for a restoration. Thirsty for bidding, getting built back up. The Lord has exiled us. We've dealt a, a pretty hard, we've been dealt a pretty hard blow. We've gotten our punishment. And now we're thirsty because it's been hard. So all you who are thirsty, who are weighed down by your punishment, now it's the time to come back, to be reconciled, to be built back up. It's, so, like, it's, like, Rock, it's like Rocky and Rocky Three, dude. <laughs> Which is that the the one with the Russian? Mr. T, that's Rocky Four, dude. Rocky Four is my favorite one. See, Rocky Three, dude. He's all he's all like. Oh, lame. it's Mr. T. No, it's not Mr. Is that where uh, Apollo Creed dies? That's two. No. Is it three? I thought it was I, three. I, it, is, it is three. No, Apollo Creed dies in four. No, no it's okay. All right. All right. This, anyway, this, this, what's the whole the thing is that is that he's not hungry. He has to get defeated before he's actually uh, able to say like, "I need to train." And like, and then literally his that his, was good. I didn't know where that was going. Well, yeah, well done. But but his trainer Mickey was is like he's like you're not hungry. You're not hungry for anything. And he's like, ah, and he's like training in front of everything. And he's doing all this stuff for vanity, not for actually out of his spirit to say like, what is, what is the, the, the deepest parts of myself that I need to express? Which is why in Rocky four, he has to go out to the wilderness and train on logs and stuff. Absolutely. Cause he has to dig deep. He doesn't, yeah. he has to let go of his Ferrari and his Lamborghini and all, I, his, I just, all his robots and I'm stuff. I'm just picturing the opening montage with that intense song as he's driving his Ferrari. Oh dude, that's he's picturing Apollo. 
Oh yeah, that's there's the no easy thirsty. way out. There's no shortcut home. Well played. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, yeah. So so come, you who are thirsty, come home. Come be built because you're thirsty for God's mercy. Yeah. Um, for God's consolation, which again, that theme, that concept is going to bear itself out in the parable in our right. gospel. People who are thirsty for God's mercy and simultaneously people who um, do not want the thirsty to be given drink. Does that make sense? There are those in the parable who do not want others who are thirsty to be given drink. In the gospel? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I, I think that that's a way bold of a claim, brother. All right, well, I'm let's, gonna, let's I'm set gonna that aside. Some, I'm going to take some uh, some issue with all that. Right, we'll set that aside. Come, those all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come, you who have no money, because you've been exiled. You literally, not, it's metaphorical money, but it's also in real sense, you've lost everything. Your sin has taken everything away from you. And this isn't mean, ticked off guy. I mean, this is the whole principle of the Old Testament. It's not just that God's really mad and so he's going to punish because he's ticked off. It's that sin takes our life from us. Sin leads to death. That's just the fact of the matter. And they have no money because they've lost it because of their own unfaithfulness. You have no money? Come buy and eat. And now you're not just going to have money for bread. You're going to have money for wine and milk. Without money, without cost, why spend your money on that which is not bread? Your labor on that which does not satisfy. Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Um, give ear and listen to me. And it goes on from there. So I don't know. I think it's important for me that this passage that we're getting, where it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Find him while he, call on him while he's near. Forsake your way if you're a scoundrel, you're wicked, your thoughts. This is all within the context of you're coming home. You're starting again. And things are going to look a little bit different. And that's where it kind of closes with this idea that, you know what? You're coming home. I'm going to build you back up. I'm going to remake the people of Israel. But my ways are far higher than yours. And my thoughts are beyond yours. As far as the heavens are from the earth, it's not going to look as you thought it was going to look. It's going to be different. Yeah. Because I, my ways are inscrutable. Dude, this is, uh, I mean, to, to, to take this down to the brass tacks, it's like, you, you look and you say, I, I think I have an idea of what the restoration that the Lord wants to do in my life. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 but how do you go to something deeper to, to more causal, like root, root ideas, root yeah. sin, root, root attitudes? Yeah. Like to, to challenge those, you have to actually like be transformed in behavior. And that's where like my, my dad always uses the, the idea of God speaks in brick walls. God speaks in brick walls. Okay. Yeah. So he'll just shut you down. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like, like, like you, you're moving in a particular direction, and you say, "This is what this is what my life is going to be. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this goal with intention and okay. aggression. You yeah. know, like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen. And then all of a sudden, you're shut down, and like it's very confusing because you say, "Well, I think I know what my restoration and what I what, what that's supposed to look like." Yeah, and right, right. and then and then God's ways are like above or what I want it to look like. Right, what yeah. I want it to look like. This is like, like exactly. But there's like, a fine line between what I want it to look like and what I've justified in my mind that it should look like. Ooh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but this, I mean, isn't that the most challenging parts of <laughs> our lives? Absolutely is. To where I, I think that I'm going to be sound and sleek. That I'm yeah. going to be a champion of the universe. Yeah. That I'm going to be number one. That right. like that that my team's going to win. Go team. Go team, but but like this is the Go thing team is that, Pete. yeah, but that actually like sometimes it's actually precisely in the greatest shutdowns that the will of the Lord takes place. 
Yes. And, and it's super duper confusing. Here's what I can't get away from. You keep talking about, because I, 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 I mean, there's a real historical circumstance here that I think is, is bearing itself out. There's the ways that it applies to each of our lives individually. And right. that's up to each of us to, to figure out or to let God show us. I mean, we have our preconceived notions. But there's also an historical reality with, I think, what this means as Israel is being built back up and God is telling them it's going to be different than you thought. And, and part of the key actually comes right before what we read in Isaiah. It's in uh, verse 4. It talks about promise he made to David. In verse 4, it says in Isaiah, See, I have made him, David, a witness to all the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon the nations that you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to come to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, has endowed you with splendor. And what Isaiah has made crystal clear is that nations who you don't know and nations that don't know you are all going to hasten to you to be a part of Israel. This new Israel that I'm in the process of building back up is bigger than you ever dreamed it was. I was um, thinking about this in terms of the early church where, you know, the early church was a Jewish reality. The apostles were Jewish. Mary was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And none of the early Christians thought that they were starting a new church. They just thought, we're Jewish people, and now our prophecies have finally come to pass. The Messiah has come. This is great. And then God starts leading them toward non-Jewish peoples and the Gentiles, and they have to figure out, okay, well, you guys came late to the party, and you guys didn't have the covenants, and so what does that mean that now God has called us to be co-equals? And Paul says things like, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free. You're actually all equal in Jesus, and is, the church struggles with that. Well, this is the, this is the, this is the eternal struggle that we have within the church. Struggle bus. How do, we, we end up on the struggle the, bus. The ecclesial struggle bus. Is how do you make the essentials the essentials yeah. and not essentialize the non-essentials. So okay, how, do you, how, do you keep, how do you keep, what, keep what's truly at the heart of things, yeah. but at the same time, not yeah. take those like cultural expressions? See, right. this, is, this, is, this is the big part is we say, I know what it looks like when the faith is lived out. It's like, no, you don't. We ultimately don't. We we don't. We know what what the faith is, yeah. but fidelity to God is way more creative. This is the man who created all of the universe, and so right. so if, if we live as faithful Christians, it's gonna. The Lord is gonna call upon His holy people, and He's gonna do a new yes. creative work that is unexpected. And like, right. and and so I mean, but yeah. most most of the culture is trying to hold on. We're trying to say like, how do we find a, a rootedness? But the rootedness only exists within Christ. It doesn't exist right. necessarily within a cultural. Experience. Expression of things. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday um, about the different rites, R-I-T-E, of mm-hmm. the church. And it, it came about because you had mentioned something in a homily right. about the different rites. And this person was like, hold, hold the phone a second. I, <laughs> there, there are what? There's other Catholic churches out there that are not ro- like, what? There's never one, heard. Yeah, there's, there's one, one church. church. Sorry, sorry. Let me be clear. There's one. That. Well, this is, there's, there's one, one holy Catholic apostolic church with 11 churches. Actually, they know it's like 30 something. It's a, it's a pretty big number. Well, this is the thing is that there's a difference between a rite and a church. See, yes. This is the thing is yes. that is that a, uh, is within the Catholic Church, there's constituted churches which have a particular right. law and a, and a particular way to worship. Yeah. It, a saying a rite means that you have a liturgical expression. Correct. And so so what happens is it's confusing because you say, I thought there was one church. There is one church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that if those churches, those ecclesial gatherings, Bodies, yeah. uh, have, have real distinction within right. the body. Right. 
and they have rights that they perform. So it's it's yeah. hard because we normally shorthand will say it's a right. Yeah, I, I gotcha. But but in fact, it, it is churches that are bound together. It's it's unity and plurality. But and it's true plurality and it's actual diversity and it's this thing you know we're so you know and again in my own experience. This is the church. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church in the United States. It looks a certain way. And I remember uh, not too many years ago, I found myself in a Maronite right church. And that's the church in Lebanese. Um, it's the Lebanese right primarily. Yep. And it looks totally different. And I, you know, the, the temptation is like, well, this is not like this is different. Where did you guys come from? And where did you come up with this stuff? And and they're like, no, no, we, we're saying the same things that we've been saying for 2000 years because... Right. The apostles started our ecclesial expression as well. St. John Chrysostom actually wrote our liturgy, to tell you the truth. And it grew up independently. But my temptation was like, well, this isn't my experience. Therefore, it's foreign and weird and different. And I don't trust it. And I don't know what that's all about. Right. But it's no, God has actually been growing us independently. And we're in union with Rome. We acknowledge the Pope. We look to him. He guides us. But we've been growing on our own because God has been fostering this relationship. And to realize, no, there's a, a real plurality because the Catholic Church, one holy apostolic church, is not bound by ethnic or geographic or linguistic or societal borders. It is worldwide and it grows. I mean, Ratzinger, before he was Pope Benedict, wrote that great book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, yeah. where he talked about it's like seeds that the sower has sown all over the world. It's the same seed. The gospel is the same, but in different climates, the same seed will grow up to look slightly differently. Yeah. So the church in Lebanon looks different than it does in Spain, which yeah. looks different than it does in Russia, which looks different than it does in the U.S. But there's still one church, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, because God loves actual, true, not politically, you know, um, ideologically uh, um, put together. What, what's the I'm, I'm blanking on the word I'm trying to find. Um, f fabricated. That's the mm. word. Not politically fabricated <laughs> diversity. Right. Real, actual, true, beautiful diversity. Right. Which is what the Catholic Church has. And this student or this person I was talking to was like, "That's amazing. Like that's real diversity." It's like, yeah. What's What's fun is that we have so many people from so many different cultures come to St. Tom's. I'm yeah. talking to a girl from Venezuela. Mm. I'm talking to a German. I'm talking to a, a Cameroonian. I mean, like, like we actually have authentic diversity within Boulder. Which we is do. which is yeah, which is strange, and we, we you know we've we have Korea, we have Austria. I mean, like like there are all these folks that come around, and it, it contributes to this really beautiful way in which we worship at 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 St. Tom's. But oftentimes they'll come and they'll say, "We are the same." I I don't I don't vary in the liturgy. I mean, I'm I, but I'm praying it the way, and we're praying it together as a community. Yeah, and that's why we like orthodoxy right. means right right glory. Docs, doxa, doxa. It's glory, yeah. so, so it's 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 right glory. So it's, so it leads us into the this beautiful psalm where it, it says, does, "Every yes. day I will praise you and I will praise your name forever and ever." And 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 so like what what's happening is that like that when you have a people who give right glory to God, God is going to manifest His uh, Himself in in all of those very beautiful ways, or vice versa, because mm -hmm. God manifests Himself in these many and various ways the many and various peoples will give right glory to God right. because he's been made manifest. Right. And that's that the responsorial. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, mm. whether you like them or not, <laughs> whether you associate with them or share things in common with them or not. Mm. The Lord is close to all who call upon him. And, you know, in the time of Isaiah, he's saying even the Babylonians who took you into exile, 
even the Persians who are going to come later, even the Egyptians who you hate, even (laughs) all of these other nations, God loves them and is near to them. And if they cry out to the God who made them and loves them, God is going to respond. And they're your brother and sister, which can be a little distasteful and frustrating if you don't like the person that God has deemed to be your brother or sister. Right. But he says, it's not up to you. Right. I will reveal myself to who I reveal myself to. And it is their choice whether they respond to that. I was talking to somebody about, remember the story of Rahab the prostitute in the book of Joshua? Yeah. She's one of my favorite figures in the Bible because she embodies faith. It's this woman in the city of Jericho in the time of Joshua after the Exodus who doesn't know anything. She doesn't know that God is named Yahweh. She doesn't know the Ten Commandments. She's never heard of any of this stuff. All she knows is, hey... I heard about what your God did in Egypt. And she was like, and I, my heart was moved and I knew that your God is God. Right. That is how God works. He reveals himself in many various ways. What we're judged on is how we respond to the truth that has been revealed to us. And they cut out this particular verse, but they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Like yeah. God is good, man. Right. God is so good, and 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 the the proclamation of that is something that we are bound together with. Yes. I, I was sitting next to an Episcopalian at the football game the other day, and we just ended up talking about how good you, God was. Did you was. know because he had a tweed jacket on? He did. You must be an Episcopalian. Did he, he actually have a tweed? He jacket? did have a tweed jacket on, uh, <laughs> which is totally wonderful, and I did not put together Classic. until you just said it. But it's, awesome. it's it's like. It's exactly the best. But then just being able to be with them and say like, no, let's praise the Lord together. Yeah. And like, there was such a joy because neither of us were worried about judging each other, but mm. we wanted to give give glory to where glory was due. Doxa. Doxa. Orthodoxa. Orthodoxa. Oh, which takes us to Dude, Philippians. Gonna... Ortho. Ortho? I don't, nobody names their kid Ortho. Same. <laughs> what up, same? <laughs> <laughs> or right, I guess. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. Let's... Anyway, Philippians. Oh, um, oh, I skipped Philippians right to the gospel. I'm, you can't. We got to drink the I water. I flipped of, past it. Well, it's the wine of the new Philippians, but you still have to drink it. Um, The wine of the old, water of the old, water of the old, wine of the new. That wasn't funny. Sorry, man. Not everything <laughs> I say can be funny. Not everything can be tweed jackets and Episcopalians. <laughs> All right, Philippians. I just wanted to say that because I thought it was really actually funny, but then it wasn't. Well, then I got okay. funny. Yeah. Um, okay. So how, how do you how do you jam this into place? <laughs> um, Paul is okay. Here, quick crash course, couple second crash course on Philippians. It actually does matter. The context matters once again. Philippians is being written to this the church in Philippi. What do we know about Philippi? Well, Philippi, it's a diverse church. There's all sorts of people. But one of the things that helps define life in the city of Philippi, it's a coastal city. It's beautiful. Um, and it was for a long time. And it's its a um, little broader than this by the time Paul reaches there. But originally, it was sort of founded as a retirement villa for um, retired members of the Roman military. It was the place where they could go and reap the benefits of serving Caesar and pouring out their lives. And now they get to live in this coastal town with a bunch of Cadillacs and palm trees. And it's like Florida. It's like Boca Raton for for the Roman military, right? (laughs) So they're all hanging out. And Paul is writing this letter about citizenship. And he's basically going to tear down this idea that you are primarily citizens of Rome, even Mm -hmm. though that's what you spent your life pouring yourself out for. But you are actually citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you don't merely have King Caesar, but you have King Jesus. I actually went through in my own Bible. Every time Paul uses the term Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, which 
we're used to that term. I mean, Christ Jesus, we talk about that all the time, but he uses it more in Philippians than he does anywhere else. Mm. He always calls him Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And I went through in my book and I crossed out everywhere it says Christ and I replaced it with King. Because Christ is just one of those religious words that we get so used to, but Christ means king. And there was only one person in the world in this time who held the title of Christ, and it was Caesar. He alone was called Christ. And so if you go through and cross him out and exchange it with king, and then you're reading about citizenship and giving of yourselves to Rome, and then how it's really King Jesus, Jesus the king, who is the one that we're called on to worship. But that's where our true citizenship is. That is where our, um, our uh, where we pledge our allegiance to. And you imagine reading it in a group of big, tough, retired military people for the Roman Empire. You're like, oh, this is a pretty dangerous letter all of a sudden. Yeah. And it changes everything. So that's the context that he's writing this in, that um, brothers and sisters in Philippi, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. And I'm probably going to die because I wrote you this letter. And if you have the courage to read it out loud, you might die too, because it's an act of treason to call anybody but Caesar the Christ. So merely reading this letter out loud is enough to get you put to death. Oh, members of the Roman military who've served your life for this false Christ. And now they're reading this, this, this stuff, whether by life or death, for to me, to live is Christ and death is gain. Dude, I'm, I'm listening to this. Okay, so like like the, 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 the warrior spirit. Yeah. Let's be honest about what the warrior spirit is. All right. Dude, you're, this is a rally cry. It's a rally cry. Absolutely. It, it, it he, he's, he's, saying, he's saying, you know what it means. He, he's, it's almost like you all know exactly what it means to put your life on the line Absolutely. For, for, for the dream that is Rome. And he uses some liberties in Philippians that he doesn't use in other letters because he knows he can do it. Yeah, and, and then he's, he's, he's like, you guys know what it means that like, I'll offer my life, I'll die for, I'll die for this, but will you die for Jesus? Will you now, the, the, will you still call upon your warrior spirit in the midst of this community and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to serve the one who is true and like, yeah. like risk myself in this. Which is interesting because right after this, he talks about how to get to doxa. We talked about orthodoxy. How do you attain glory? Well, he says right after this passage, how does Jesus attain glory? And is that famous canonic hymn, the hymn of self-emptying. Oh, you know, Jesus, the one who I'm telling you to give everything in your warrior spirit to actually worship. He actually, it was God who became man and he humbled himself and he lowered himself and he became like a slave. And that wasn't even enough. Then he became a slave who died on a cross, which for a Roman to die on a cross is the most humiliating form of death imaginable because right. that's what's done. I mean, robbers and thieves don't get crucified. People guilty of treason against the empire get crucified. And you're telling members of the Roman military who've given their lives, who've probably crucified, crucified. many people themselves, you got to worship a guy who was crucified in the ugliest, most shameful way imaginable. And that, and only that, is the way to true glory. Doxa. And you're like, oh, that's a big deal. That's not what I expected. Right. And it goes back to the first reading. My ways are not your ways. And what my ways say is that I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to empty myself out entirely. And it's through that act of emptying that it says literally in the Greek, it says, because of that, God super exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, above the name of Caesar Augustus, that every knee on earth and under the earth and above the earth should bow, including Caesar Augustus's, and every tongue should proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Which you're like, I didn't expect that. 
which goes back to the first reading. God's mm-hmm. glory is different than you might think it's going to be. He's building you up. He's going to give you what you never dreamed, but it's not going to look exactly how you thought it was going to look. Right, and that mission, my mission is going to be different. Than... My mission is going to be different. And he says, not just that you should do this. He says, I have done this. God has himself come and to give you glory poured himself out. Which is which is funny because I mean you think about just Paul's life. What is it, what's Paul's gig? Paul's gig is to go to the Gentiles as this great thinker for the Israelites. Right. He could have totally rocked Israel, like his his penetrating understanding. But the yeah. Lord was like, no, you if, ain't I, going if, there. I, if I send you to Israel, that's just that's just too expected. Then you're gonna everybody's gonna think it's out of this some sort of cleverness. Yeah. And then they're gonna get angry and they're gonna revolt out of cleverness. He's oh. and he's so the Lord's like, no, I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. The cleverness of the clever I will thwart. The cleverness of the clever, I will thwart. And so I'm going to send you Peter, yeah. you know. Who's uh, just, the illiterate fisherman. Right. And so then they're to like. To the most learned people on the planet. And so it's like. You're like, oh, the ways of God. The ways of God are like. So the, so if, you, if you're like, I'm not equipped. Like, you know, there's the, the old school saying. It says, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Isn't that Mother Teresa? Let's yes. go with that. Let's say Mother Teresa. Winston, as Winston Churchill said, as, I feel like everything gets ascribed to Churchill. anyway sorry yeah mother churchill oh hold on mother Teresa. sorry sorry you know ironically that you should say that because you know how paul ends the letter to the philippians so he gives this great canonic hymn this is what jesus was god but he didn't count equality with god something to be grasped at but he emptied himself and he does this stuff and then paul toward the end of the letter he gives his own canonic hymn about himself do you remember this Mm -mm. and he says i was a jew born of jews i was of the tribe of benjamin the only one that was faithful when all the others revolted in the Civil War, I was a Pharisee. I was so serious about it. I was the most learned of anybody. I had everything. But he says, I count it all as scubala, which is the Greek word for poop. poop, poop. I count it all as nothing for the sake of, of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So he says, okay, here's what Jesus did. But I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And I'm going to describe to you, oh, brave, noble Philippians, how I had everything too. And I emptied myself of it. I poured it all out and I counted it as nothing so that I could too be super exalted, be doxa, be glorified along with Jesus. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done myself, which is kind of beautiful. It goes back to your point. Yeah. So there you go. I, wanna, I tried to drive home the idea of both God and Paul not just telling people about this, but doing it themselves. Right. Because that, to me, is one of the most important aspects of the parable that we get in the Gospels. Let's go to the more parable. More on that in a second. Don't call okay. me a moron. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. Hey, thanks. Uh, so th- this is the, this is one of those um, uh, f- fairness parables that, that, will, uh, <laughs> that, that will incite you in, inside. And I, I, it always does. You have to know that there's this part of me always. So it's it's the labors in the vineyard. You're so excited. Yeah, there's so so Jesus goes and he says um, he says to these brothers. He, whoops, why did I go to Acts? Oh, no, um, I don't know. He says to these guys. He says, um, you know, he makes an agreement with these first guys, and he says, hey, d- um, will you go out and work? We're going to agree for the the typical denarius. You're going to get a denarius, and you'll be able to have that. And they were like, absolutely. And we're one denarius go. is one day's wage. That's, right. That's the going rate. No, and then then he um, he says, uh, and then go into the marketplace. Then he f- goes out a couple hours later at the third hour, and he says, you go into the vineyard too, and I'll, whatever's right, I'm going to give you. Okay. So they agree, right? Yeah. He keeps doing this all day until we end up at the 11th hour. Okay. 
and why, why are you smiling? Because I, because I, I, I'm fascinated by. It. I, I, like I said, I've been sitting with this parable, and I also I turn to Kenneth Bailey, and whenever I turn to Kenneth Bailey, one of my favorite scholars, I always get a little bit blown open. Dude, that's that's the best. Because so, he painted this in a, in a light that I haven't seen it before. I but I what I really like is is I, I which I never saw before is that is he's agreeing with these he agreed he he made a deal with the people at the beginning of the day he made a deal only with one group right and then the rest of me says I'll just give you what's right right it's only one and the last group the fifth group he doesn't say anything to he doesn't actually tell them he's going to give them anything he just says come work yep so think about this just just picture the scene for a second because Kenneth Bailey. Again, the scholar who I really love, who spent most of his life living in the Middle East, trying to understand these cultures and peoples. He painted the picture I love. And I, I, I'm tempted to translate it into our, our culture, but I don't want to do that. Um, so imagine the scene. You have this, this vineyard owner or this landowner, whatever. By the way, um, oh, there, there's three surprises. This is what Bailey points out. You're reading through this. There's three things that are surprising in the story. Okay. So you have this vineyard owner, this landowner, right? A vineyard, vineyard owner. Who... Um, goes so in Palestine and this happens to this day right there are day laborers who hang out on street corners or established places at imagine, the Home Depot well yeah in this country I mean imagine there's a lot of places where you can go to a Home Depot first thing in the morning and there are day laborers Absolutely. waiting to get picked up to get some work for that day same thing in the Middle East there are people who stay or show up early in the morning and and you know Bailey says hey, I witnessed this a million times you'd be driving by this particular place or intersection or parking lot and a truck will pull up looking for laborers and they'll rush to the truck trying to be first in line because everybody wants to get work that day. And he takes whoever he takes. So right. here's this landowner. He shows up first thing in the morning. There's a bunch of laborers waiting to get some work for that day. He chooses who he chooses. He says, I'm going to give you a wage. He basically makes a little contract with them. And then they go off and they do their work. What's strange is that the landowner keeps going back. He's like, you've got your workers, right? Were you just a terrible planner? Did you just not think through how many people you'd actually need? Because a few hours later, he's like, I got to go back and get some more. And he goes back, and then there's still a group. Now, this group that's still there are people who didn't get picked up in the first round. And, and Bailey makes the case, and he says, what if, what is this landowner doing? First of all, here's the first surprise. We find out later on when it comes time to give the wages. Who gives the wages? The manager, not the owner. The manager, not the owner, which is a bit surprising because in the Middle East, traditionally, landowners, vineyard owners are what are called gentlemen farmers, which means they're landowners, but they don't actually do the work, right? right. They're gentlemen. They're they're um you know wealthy. They're bourgeois, so to speak. They're they're, they're, they're like uh, lords. Yeah, they're lords. So what on earth is the lord doing? going to the marketplace to pick up the day laborers. Why not the Shouldn't manager? The man and, and you find out, oh, there's a manager who could have been doing that. The manager doesn't do it. The landowner is doing it, which is just strange. And not only does he go out and get the laborers, he just keeps going back. And you get the sense he, he, of this curiosity. He goes back a second time thinking, are there any, is there anybody left? Or, do, you know, presumably by this point in the day, most of the workers should have found work if they're going to find it. But these people haven't. They're, and it says in the parable that they're not sitting, they're actually standing, which means it gives this implication, we want to work. We want to have some money to take home to our families to put food on the table. We're not sitting around. We're not just lazy. We're not just hanging out. We want work. And he's presumably, I think, moved with compassion. Right. So I want to give you work. So fine, you come. And then he just keeps going back. And he keeps having this, this 
question, are there more? Are there more who still need work? And he keeps going back and there's still more. And, you know, traditionally after noon or so, I mean, this in the Middle East, it gets incredibly hot and you probably wouldn't stand around the parking lot anymore. Most people would leave, but he keeps going back and people are still there. Not being lazy, not standing around, but like we want work. We want to do something up until the very end of the day. And it's the strangest part is that when he goes right before the end of the workday, the workers, the people who showed up in the morning, they should be gone by now. If work hasn't come by 4 p.m., it's probably not coming. Right. But they're still there waiting, longing, hoping, well, someone, some, because we don't want the shame and the humiliation of having to go back to our families and say, we had nothing. Right. There's no food tonight. Right. And you get this sense of the landowner with his pity and his mercy and his compassion, who doesn't just want to say, oh, here's a couple bucks, go buy some bread for your family. He says, no, I want to dignify you with work. So come and, and do work that you want to do. Right. Five stinking times. He keeps going back and getting more, which is just I want to know why weird. I want to know why five, because I feel like you have an, a, a sense of of, the, of this number. I don't. Oh, I don't. That's simply what the parable says. Oh, okay. I, I really don't. I have nothing on that. Yeah, because I, I I never counted the amount of times. I I think I, it's five. If I'm counting I, correctly, I did look, and it's the, the last one is the eleventh hour, which was the name of my band in high school. The eleventh hour. That's the, a good band name. Which which I just I don't know. I'm like, oh, this, that that just makes me happy about my own life for a minute. <laughs> it should. You know, like I'm because like I just am like, dude, I'm the last. Think about this for a second. Here's the other thing I think is strange. So it's strange that um, he doesn't send somebody else to do this. Hmm. It's strange that he keeps going back again and, why did, and again. Why didn't he get him when he was there the other time? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Does he just say like, hey, I need five? Like, Presumably. Yeah. And then the rest, he presumes they'll work somewhere else. But here's the last thing that I think is strange. He could have. There's no reason that at the end of the day, you know, he gets his manager then. He couldn't have just paid the one, the first workers who came at the beginning of the day, give first. them the denarius, pay them their wage. They go on their way. They're happy. Right. Then he pays whatever he wants to to the next groups. And they're like, oh, this is great. I got a denarius too. They go on their way. Everybody's happy. There's no fights. But he reverses how it's traditionally done. He goes the opposite way. And the ones who came last, he puts first. And there's no logical reason to do that unless he wants to pick a fight. Unless he wants to show his... Well, right. Yeah. Show show what he's doing. But surely he knows that the first workers are not going to be happy with this. Absolutely. But he makes but, a don't point call me Shirley. that they have to see this. He wants them to witness this. Right. Which, again, that's weird, isn't it? Kind of. It's it, You it's, need to see the mercy that I'm actually bestowing on them. I want you to witness the the... I mean, I think it is. The, the amazing grace, so to speak, that I'm bestowing on these people that they don't deserve... Really? I mean, they haven't worked as long. Dude, I, I'm, anyway, I just want to point out those three strange aspects. Dude, I'm just saying the parable the next day, those first guys, <laughs> they're going to wait to jump in line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that's, that's my, probably that, true. That's my cynical part. But the, this, again, it's a parable. So it's a story yeah, meant right. to to raise your hackles and say, like, no, like, that's not like I feel I would feel I would feel angry, too. I would be like, we I bore the day's burden in the heat. Right, but but I find something very very interesting about Jesus's role in the midst of this, in the context okay. in which we find this in Matthew. Okay, um, talk to me. So so what happens is, is and then we, we we learn the moral of the story: many who are first will be last, and last will be first. Okay, so who is Jesus? King Jesus. He's the landowner. He is the firstborn of all creation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course he is. He, he is the first. Oh, I see what you're saying. 
So, so what happens is that I, th I think that, that at first gleaning, I think you can say, okay, we, who are the chosen people? You have, you have Israel. And Israel is born the day of the, the burden of the day's heat. They've had to go through all of this crazy stuff right. to be able to go and to, um, to have, keep the covenants of the Lord. They, they, and it's hard. And they had to go through the heat of the desert. They had to go through the exodus. Like yes. As a people, they, they've been laboring for all of this stuff. Yes, and and now they're going to earn like the same reward as these Roman um, mercenaries. You know these these Roman soldiers that we just saw yeah, in Philippians. Yeah, like absolutely, like like we you, you know you're you're drawing this thing, and so so at first gleaning, I think you can see it as this judgment against Israel and 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 trying to deal with Israel's jealousy. Yes, I think at a, at another gleaning, I'm seeing that Jesus has decided the one who is the firstborn of all creation to become the last of all, so that the last will become first, that those who are invited in the covenant, yes, of course, but he's saying, I am the firstborn of all creation, and I'm going to take death itself upon me. I'm going to actually enter into the, the, the that I will become the last. Yes. So that you may become the first. Yes. Which is profound, which and is, I agree which, with you. Which, which I mean, I just think that that it's beautiful, and I think it can contextualize some of the work that is that is actually taking place within this parable. Yeah. So those are my insights. Yeah, which I think is right. Um, but the the thing that's beautiful about a parable parable is that there's all these because Jesus is is standing in many different spots in this parable. Right. And so again, I keep seeing him most clearly as the landowner. Yes. But I want to read something, and this is I'm, I'm going to quote Bailey again. Um, he, said, he points out that when he speaks to the, so, you know, the first workers get ticked off rightly. So, I mean, you can see why, mm -hmm. and they start shouting and it's funny. He doesn't call them friends, Philos. He doesn't address them as he's like, friend, don't worry. Here's your wage. He calls them, uh, heteros, which is a generic way to, um, address somebody that you don't, it's a polite term for a stranger. I found out, which, um, there's a. An Arabic translation, which I just got it. I just pointed this out because I thought it was funny. In Arabic, it translates it to you who is doing the shouting. Here's what I have to say. <laughs> it's, that's how he addresses them. You who is shouting at me. Here's what I say. But Bailey gives a paraphrase of the master's response. And I, I found it really moving. So take this for what you will. Basically, he says, you have no complaint. Justice was served. You know, I, I promised you this and this is what you got. You got what I agreed to pay you. He says this. And again, this is a paraphrase. So you worked throughout the heat of the day, didn't you? That's fine. And what did you think I was doing during the heat of the day? Do you think I was off enjoying a traditional siesta? No, I was on the road constantly to and from the market, trying to demonstrate compassion to others who, like you, are in need of employment. I could have sent my manager to do this, but I didn't. I went myself to demonstrate solidarity with the men and help alleviate their suffering. So why are you jealous of them and angry at me? You must understand that not only am I just, but I am also merciful and compassionate because mercy and compassion are a part of justice. Have you never read the servant songs of Isaiah? On what basis should the grace I show others irritate you? It appears that you do not care whether or not they can preserve their self-worth or feed their families. You want to take more for themselves. I have chosen to give more of myself. You want to be richer at the end of the day, but I have chosen to be poorer at the end of the day. That's what struck me. You want to be richer. You want more, but I have chosen to be poorer at the end of the day. Don't control me. Take your wage and leave. 
<laughs> that's where I was moved. Dude, that's really, really moving. It's the and, and it, again, kind of like the parable of the prodigal son. Whew. It's not a parable about the workers. It's a parable about the landowner. Right. It's not a parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable about the prodigal loving father. father. Yeah. That's where the point is. And I was so struck by that. No, no, no. It's not that you got your just wage. And what you want is not for yourself to get more. It's for them to get less. And what's happening is, no, I have chosen to pour more of myself out. I'm not taking anything from you. I'm giving more of me. Oof. Which, again, that's, that was where I was really hit. Because it, we focus so much on the workers and what we want and what we get out of this that we kind of forget that what the landowner is actually doing. He's taking everything upon himself. He's doing the work himself. He's going back and forth in the heat of the day. He's pouring out his own wealth. He's giving and giving and giving of himself. Wow. And that's the point. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. Dude, that is that is like so absolutely powerful. Yeah. Uh like I mean I I see it in St. Paul. Mm. You you I think about that. I see St. Paul praising it in the Canonic hymn in Philippians. Um you know in, in Isaiah it, it's saying like th- this feast the the feast master is someone who is going to pour themselves out yes and like like it, it is it's so moving it's it's like it's and, and it's, it's like i didn't even think about the judgment of saying i want them to have less yeah like and 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 like that that's a good thing in my spirit to just say like what do i really want for others because like i've right. been really i've been looking inside recently and and just trying to make sure that all of my motivations are right yeah that I'm say, that I'm saying like 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 it's easy to get your motivations skewed mm, yeah and and to say like <laughs> yes yeah yeah, yeah. ah take the implications <laughs> of my misstep correctly yes <laughs> Uh, and but but then but then this parable is about saying like no look if you want to be first you can have all of this stuff absolutely you and can you could be but look how your labor it's like the older brother and the prodigal son right it's all yours you get all of it right but I'm gonna also give it to your brother yeah there's a there's another commentator he's an ancient um, uh, Arabic commentator named Ibn Al Taib. He wrote in the 11th century, and I loved this because he's applying this parable to the gospel. Well, it's in the gospels, but to the apostles or to the the followers of Jesus. Listen to this. Um, In the gospel, I love this. In the gospel, salvation through Christ is open both to Simon, the prophet Simon, who held the baby Jesus in the temple at the beginning of his life, and to the thief who believed at its end. The good thief has the same grace given to him as Simon, who held him as a baby, which is pretty powerful. Yeah, and Adam and, and Abraham, Adam, Adam yes. and Abraham, and then we get to you. Keep up the love. Thank everybody. Thank you, everybody, for who have donated yes. to this tremendous ministry of ours, and thank you, everybody, who have sent wonderful little telegrams and special little <laughs> notes, and uh, seminarians who have been inspired to continue in their vocation, and priests who have inspired yeah. to, to talk to their people, and. Lay folks who've been inspired to continue to care for your children and to mm. live out Nazareth at home, and yes. for you know single people who haven't lost hope, absolutely, you know, through the absolutely. words of the Lord. So, like the word of the Lord, you know, you, you, especially those of you who feel last. Guess what? You're going to be first, and you have been you've received a, ter- a tremendous mission. Sometimes a terrible mission, a mission that like seems yeah. like so much, but like 
hold on and be faithful. Be mm. faithful, friends, because what the reward is for your fidelity and how God is working through you, you don't know. His ways are way far above your ways. You don't know it. I don't know it. Uh, there's no way. And But when we get into heaven and we shine with the glory of the Lord and we've been drawn into the very heart of the Trinity, there's, there's no messing around. And so stay faithful, people. Yeah, if you feel last, which we all do sometimes, just remember Jesus loves those people. Yes, he does. So we will see you next week. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.